Welcome to Extra Credits. Muggo, what are we talking about today? So this is uh, episode five of The Last Dance. Um, I've always been kind of given episodes a name based on stuff. I would say this one is the Dream Team slash Kobe episode. You guys yes. agree with that? Yeah. Because yeah. it does start off before any footage is right there. It's got it saying that this episode is dedicated to Kobe Bryant. I kind of got a tear when I saw that. It's kind of I cried. Yeah. Because yeah. um, he obviously was there for filming of this movie, and now he's not here to watch it. Uh, it does go right into the 98 All-Star Game. So we're at the present time for the movie of the documentary, 98. And fortunately, it's at the Garden, which is MJ's favorite place to play. Alan, he's on record saying that, but is that his favorite place, like a way to play? Like he didn't like playing at the United Center or, or just like- No, he loved it. No, it was just kind of the aura around that. Yeah, yeah like, stadium, yeah, like Madison Square Garden is like- The Mecca, right? No, yeah. it's, yeah, it's like the basketball arena. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like yeah. you said, it's the Mecca of basketball. How come we didn't go see when we were in New York or when we should have done that, huh? Season was over. Stupid TJ. <laughs> Um, All right, but now, Jose, you're going to have to back me up. I know you're great on statistics. Uh, Kobe was in this All-Star game. He was 19 at the time. They said the youngest to ever make an All-Star game. Is that still current, or was that then? I mean, I don't even know, because I know at the time, not a lot of people were coming out of college. I mean, sorry, out of high school and skipping college to go to the NBA. Like, LeBron did it, obviously, but, like, even Kevin Durant, like, wasn't he – at uh, uh, he was at Texas for a Texas year. Texas for one year. Oh, Same thing with Carmelo. So it was very rare when someone was this good was able to just skip. And but yeah, he did make the All Star. Um, was uh, was nineteen at the time, and it, it has Kobe being interviewed. And he and I, we've all done this. If you're a sports fan, I think even Jason's been in a conversation about this. It was always compared to who would win or who's better, Kobe versus Michael. He actually shoots it down, right? which I do love. Like, uh, I don't want to hear that. I got sick of people saying that. And he is quoted saying, what you get from me is because of him. And basically he talks about how not only did he look up to Michael as like a big brother, but he helped him out with like certain ideas, certain shots. Um, if you ever watch highlights of their game, they're almost identical. But basically saying that at that game, Kobe asked him a certain question and he gave him his answer. And he said, if you ever need any help, just give me a call. I think that's really cool for – Michael Jordan at the time, five championships, looking at this new guy coming up like, hey, any way I can help you out? It kind of shows the whole fraternity these guys have within each other, I I think. I I don't know if you guys have anything to say about it. You just think about it. I mean, you don't compare yourself to your mentor. You don't compare compare yourself to your idol. You're trying to be like them. And that was basically, I think what he was saying was, you can't compare me to somebody that I was trying to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, And he even said, everything that you get from me I got from MJ. Like I have nothing. I don't get my championships, nothing because he was a student of the game and he learned so much from Michael and he, he, I mean, that was his idol. Yeah. Well, I mean, also like Michael goes over it in his eulogy for Kobe. Mm-hmm. He was like, Kobe Bryant would call me, text me two thirty in the morning, like asking me how to be better at the game. And so I think that like Gamboa was saying that, you can't really compare yourself who's better if it's your mentor, if it's your mm-hmm. idol. And Michael was there to help Kobe all through that. And it's crazy how, I mean, I didn't even know they were that close. I mean, them calling each other little brother, big brother, like, that's crazy. Like, I, they kept that really private for years. And that's mm-hmm. definitely, it was, it was eye-opening on that. And it doesn't have it on there, though. It does have, I've seen a quote where Kobe is, 
talking to Jordan and like trash talking. And he goes, man, you, you don't have one yet. I got five. So I, 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 don't, I don't know why they didn't show that clip in this movie. Um, but uh, it does show highlights of the game, um, kind of Kobe and Jordan going back and forth. I think in the end, Jordan stand it out because he ended up winning MVP. Bob Costas ends up saying he's still the great among the greats, which I thought was a great quote. Um, but it does show that he can still play even though it's 1998. Um, and then it does go into a next game where he's playing the actual Knicks. And supposedly everyone's talking about the last dance, but he really goes into detail. Like when I first came to play here, I wore my new shoes. And so when I'm ending my career here, and it was like his farewell tour, but I wanted to have the exact same shoes on. He goes into the story of them being bloody and all that stuff, which I don't know how true that is. It's kind of crazy. But the reason why that's significant is because then it timelines to 84, and you kind of get the evolution of the Air Jordan sneaker, which I think we've got to go into, you know. Uh, it does talk about how he, he's 80. He's a, a rookie. It's 1984. He wants a deal. His agent wanted to kind of market him as like that single-player advertising scenario almost like a boxer or a tennis player. Um, some other people thought that was crazy because that's not really what you did when it was team sports back then. But he really pushed for it. And I think what they really wanted to do was go to Converse. Kerwin, I know you're all about, like, style and all that, so help me out. Yeah, I Converse, it was like, that big, no, like was that big that back then? Yeah, Converse was huge. Adidas was huge. Um, like, Nike was all about, like, kind of, like, athletic stuff, like, outdoor running, all that right. other stuff. Like, Nike wasn't producing, you know, shoes for the court and all that. Um, Jordan wanted to go to Adidas because, like, they were the top dog at the time. But, um, yeah, Converse, Converse was, like, the shoe, like, for a long right. time, which is ironic because now Nike owns Converse. Yeah. Yeah. And Converse used to have multiple colors so they could color match all the uniforms and all that, correct? Yeah. Yes. I remember. So, um, like you said, he go ahead. Yeah, speaking of that, like the color matching, I, I don't know if you guys know about like the band uh, Jordans, like when the Jordans got like banned from the league back in the day. No. Um, so there's, you remember, I think, uh, I forgot when these came out, but there was a re-release of the band Jordans, like the red bottom Jordans that came out maybe four or five years ago. But um, uh, Jordan 1s were, they say that the Jordan 1s were banned by the NBA, but it wasn't really the Jordan 1s. It was uh, the Nike Airships. So, like, he was wearing, like, a prototype test model of his shoe in the preseason that didn't match the rest of his, uh, his teammates' shoes. And then he got a memo, like, Nike and, the, and uh, Jordan got a memo from the NBA saying, like, hey, you cannot wear these shoes during the season. So he had to switch up the colorways halfway through the season to the, to the white and red uh, Jordan 1s. So, like, yeah. a lot of people think that the Jordan 1s were banned, but it was actually the Nike Airships that were banned. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of Jordan 1s, I just bought a yeah. pair today. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, I got an all-white pair. <laughs> first pair I ever, I ever bought. I was nine years old. The 1s. And, and it, was, it, was, it was interesting, too. I don't know if you guys remember, but he, was, he wanted to go to Converse, but Converse basically said, hey, you, you're, like, you're not going to be the top dog. Like yeah. there's bird, there's magic. And they wanted this to be different. Like they wanted it to stand out. They wanted it to get creative and just like build a life of its own. So then mm -hmm. that's why they went away and said, okay, we're not going to go here. Let's go to Adidas. And then Nike came in and said, we're going to give you like 250,000, which was like way more than anybody was, get, was uh, giving out. At the and, time, yeah. And it just went off from there. So you had like a percentage of the sales too or no? I, I don't know. Yeah, I know that. I think they said in the first year, right? I know there was like a stat on this that it was like Nike hoped that in the first four years they would make, I think it was $3 million. 
and on the first year they made what was it 124 million like I don't know the statistics I know it exceeded their expectations surprisingly it was like over 100 million that they sold in the first year yeah so going into it basically we kind of where he wanted to go agent was pushing for Nike Kerwin's establishing that yeah it was like the newer company not real known for the basketball but they did have that revolutionary shoe they were trying to get at which was the Nike Air when they put Jordan, they combined the two terms. They said, okay, that's going to work. And that's where you get the Air Jordans. To me, I think this changes everything because still to this day, the Air Jordans are relevant. I, I mean, I work at a high school. Kids are constantly bragging about when they get their pair or old pair and all that. Um, yeah. It's almost like a style thing. It changes mm-hmm. like a lot of things of shoes, which I thought was amazing. Um, I don't know if you guys want to like chime in on that, but I mean, still to this day, these are like the relevant shoes, I think. Oh, I'm yeah, saying, no, my little brother just got Jordans uh, for a graduation present, like one of the expensive pairs, and all his friends are jealous, so it's still relevant in 2020. So then it goes back to uh, 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 the 98 night that he does it, and so I see how they're connecting the whole shoe thing and all that stuff, them at the garden, um, and then it goes, transitions to the 92 season and showing how, hey, they had just beaten the Lakers in 91, here's the next chapter, trying to go back to back. It doesn't really talk a lot about the season. I think they were a much better team. Michael Wilbon, he's a big Chicago guy. He actually claimed that this might have been one of the best teams of all time. I don't know if I agree with that because the 95 Bulls, what, Allen won, what, 71 games or 70? 72. 72. Okay. Where does the 92 team Bulls rank? I would say they're second best. But before the um, the 95-96? Yeah. 95-96. so I, I don't know, and, and it kind of doesn't talk much about the season. It just kind of fast forward to, hey, we are in the championship now, the finals, um, against the Portland Trailblazers. And Clyde Drexler was a guy that was on the, uh, on the radar of Jordan. I think the media was comparing it to him. He felt disrespected. Magic talks about uh, being with Michael the night before, and he's basically saying, you know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? I'm going to take it to the boy. And I guess he went off. I think he had 35 points in the first half. Which Jose helped me. I, is that that was a record at the time of the NBA Finals because I think he shot like five threes and thirty five points in the first first in half. the first half. And he just does like that little famous shoulder shrug, like I, I'm on fire, dude. It was kind of like was, a statement, yeah. That was the shrug game, and, and what was interesting to me is he always found the motivation every mm-hmm. single year. Like the next year, it was Barkley won MVP. This year, it was like you're gonna compare <laughs> me to Drexler. Like no, yeah, like, he always found something. They won 4-2, to two, now putting them as back-to-back champions. Um, this is where it gets interesting because, um, and I, if you guys know the answer to this, I think prior to the 92 year, NBA players were not allowed to or because of scheduling conflicts play on the Olympic team representing USA basketball. Is that correct? And this was huh. the first year in Barcelona that it was going to happen? Yeah, they opened it up to they opened it up to NBA players. Prior to that, it was only college college so, players. So they were putting this team together, and obviously, you want to put Michael Jordan on it. I think his initial reaction was, "Well, who's all playing?" I said, "What do you mean?" And it goes into the whole Isaiah Thomas not being on the team drama. Um, they said you can put it on him, but I don't think it was just Jordan. If you look at Bird and uh, Bird and Isaiah, they got into it. Uh, Isaiah got into it with the Lakers. Obviously, Pippen ate him. So you got guys that are on this team that are like, we don't like this guy at all. So it wasn't just Jordan. I think they put it on him. Do you guys think, though, that he should have been on the team? I mean, no. clearly he had the tangibles, but I, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think for the culture that you want to have, 
you don't want him on the team because, you know, many of those players have come out specifically and said, I think Magic Johnson is one of them, like said straight up, nobody wanted this dude on the team because we even, we even see footage of Isaiah just beefing with so many people, like everybody on the roster, they managed to show him in some sort of fight with the, with the dudes. Like, I'm not saying Isaiah Thomas is a bad person, but at that time, like you run, you, you rub a couple players the wrong way. They don't want you to go to Spain with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so he's definitely not on the team. Um, Then they start going into like, Hey, what was your favorite memory of all this? They really talk about the practices. If you guys ever get a chance, please watch the, uh, the ESPN 30 for 30 about the dream team. But they do talk about that game where Barkley and Magic are on one side, Jordan's on the other, and they just go at it. And basically, down by eight, Jordan's team was, uh, they started talking trash to Jordan, and I think that just upped the notch. And it's kind of like, it's, I mean, I know they're kind of joking, but it did sound like it was little little jabs here and there. Hey, he always gets the calls in, 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 in Chicago. Why does he get them now? Like, they're going back and forth, talking trash. And basically what happened was Jordan's team ended up winning. I think he scored, like, consecutive points to, like, take the lead, and they never looked back. I guess they get on the bus, and there was, like, some bad tension, and they did not talk at all until, I think, Barkley, or Magic says to Barkley, I guess you shouldn't have pissed him off. And then right then and there, they said that was, like, the turning point that these guys are like, we just had so much fun at practice because it brought the best out of us. I mean, hence the title of the Dream Team. Um, and it was more significant, though, because I think in the – it wasn't in this documentary, but Magic does say – he knew that was the passing of the torch. So, hey, there's a new sheriff in town. It's his league. He's the guy. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I mean, by that being like the, the, the rite of passage for Jordan, I think. What do you guys think? No, I think so. Because like you're saying, Muggs, in that, in that documentary, they put a lot of focus on the new era coming in where you got like Ewing, yeah. David Robinson, Michael Jordan, like all these guys coming in to take over, you know, Barkley coming to take over for, for Bird and, and Magic. Like that game was, was hugely significant because they don't show it in this documentary, but like Magic Johnson like talked a lot of shit. <laughs> like yeah. Magic Johnson, like he, <laughs> like he was, yo, he was that dude like back in the day in that documentary, if you watch it. So like this game wasn't just a, you know, coming to realize that MJ is the dude. Like he was, he was effectively the leader of that team in the Olympics too. That's, that's when like everybody kind of switched and realized like, okay, this is the dude we got to fall behind. So they go into the dream team. The whole, I think, angle that the director's trying to play is the whole Tony Kukoc arc on this. Um, Tony Kukoc was noticed by uh, Kraus and I think he was drafted in 1990. Now, mind you, the uh, dream team is in 92, but because of things that were happening in Croatia, Tony Kukoc decided to still play in Europe. Um, however, Kraus was on the record saying that Tony Kukoc would be the future, and this really upset Jordan and Pippen. Uh, I would think especially Pippen, because Pippen, again, is not getting paid, and Kraus is kind of taking care of a guy, even though Jordan and Pippen are the ones getting him championships. So I felt they really took it personal. They ended up playing him twice. Um, the first time they basically, I think it was in the locker room, hey, leave Kukoc for Pippen and Jordan. And I think they took it to him. I, I think they just shut him down. Um, they were just like, they wanted to show not only him, but Krause, like, look at, we're the guys, he's nowhere near our level. Um, I guess they met again, though, and a Tony had better game. I think he was in the finals, actually. And because of that, though, uh, they gained a little respect for him. But, uh, I mean, how, how do you guys feel about the whole Kukoc arc on that? I mean, they – this poor bastard, because of, like, things that were out of his control, just, I mean, got made fun of in a sense. I mean, the way I'm looking at it in that game one and kind of the whole tournament. I mean, what do you guys think? 
Yeah, it was nothing that he did, right? It was it was all because of Jerry Krause putting him out there. Yeah. Um, I think he had like two points in that first game, but like you said, he he gained their respect because he came back, right? He didn't he didn't put his head down and and had another crappy game. He came back and I think he scored like seventeen or eighteen points and at least showed them, you know what, like I can play with you guys. Yeah. And I think that was a little foreshadowing for him coming to the Bulls later. And that was in the championship, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jose, you kind of touched on this. I look at Tony Kukoc being uh, drafted to the Bulls, you know, great player, objectively. However, I look at him being drafted by the Bulls as being an extension once again of Jerry Krause's ego. Like, you've just won two championships, and you're already focused on who is going to be the future of the Bulls. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have the greatest player in the world, and then you're already at this point in 1992, summer of 92, even back in 1990, before they won, talking about this guy being the future of the franchise, you're not even willing to let the guys you have flourish back in 90. And I, I just feel like, for whatever reason, he's just, yes, you're making moves because you have foresight, you're a great GM, but I feel like a lot of these moves and a lot of the comments that we hear are really just about him. I, th- I think the whole coach thing mm-hmm. partly has to do with him wanting to prove so badly that we don't need Michael Jordan because the management, you know, the, the, the front office, we make the decisions, we generate the wins. I'm going to go find the next guy and not be concerned with Jordan or Pippen or everybody else on the roster. And I kind of see Tony Kukoc's signing to Chicago or Jerry Krause's going out to get him as an extension of that ego once again. A hundred percent. I agree. I mean, yeah, I think you said it. it was nothing on him. It was the ego of the management kind of going back and forth. Um, it didn't really matter because the U.S. did win, right? So they won a gold medal. <laughs> Let's get into this. I, I think, Kerwin, I think Champion owned the jerseys for the Dream Team, but Reebok owned the warm-ups, right? And then they said, it, accepting your gold medal, you have to have on your Reebok logos, I believe. Is that what I got out of that, you guys? Yeah. Yes. Why was Jordan – is it because he's a Nike guy? Why mm-hmm. was Jordan so against showing that? So what he did, and not a protest, but put the American flag over the Reebok logo. I mean – I, what are you guys' thoughts about that? He's well, isn't it because it was going against his contract too with Nike? Correct. I, that, see that I don't know. That's why I want to see what you guys thought. Well, he's Team Nike. Like that's his yeah. team. That's the team he rolls with. And you know, on and off the court, he's competitive. So he's not going to be throwing out you know uh, free publicity for another brand when he's on another team. So yeah. it's it's all competitive. And I think. Um, Charles Barkley or some one of the reporters in the doc said that like he was so competitive he wouldn't even let branding and sponsorship you know off the table like that's how competitive he was. Damn. So they they did win obviously, um, but not only was it a win for just us, they said it was a win for basketball because what they were able to show the world it almost is taking basketball internationally to where now he was a global star. I mean he was well recognized not obviously in America but other places. Basically what LeBron is right now, Jordan kind of started that. I think LeBron's taken it to another level. Um, but it got really weird in the sense of in the whole Be Like Mike commercial where he had this squeakly clean image all the time. However, there was a situation where uh, Obama's describing this, that with success, someone like Michael Jordan, Oprah Winfrey or whatnot, as long as you don't touch on the topics of social justice, you will continue to be liked. Uh, Jordan never really touched those things. They give the whole scenario of the race of the North Carolina Senate between a guy named Jesse Helms 
and Harvey Grant. Um, although Jordan refused to do a commercial with him, he did say, I will support him financially, he made a contribution. There was a quote saying that he says, well, even Republicans buy sneakers. Again, that wasn't at a press conference or whatnot. My point being is he really made it a point to stay out of that. How do you guys feel about it? I mean, we see it all the time with someone like a Colin Kaepernick or LeBron doing things. Should have even got more involved or was that just who he was? He does say, I never saw myself as an activist. I was always a basketball player. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts? This is kind of the, the tough part right here. And I think um, to me personally, like I actually like respect MJ a lot for this because, and I actually quoted something off of just exactly this. And he says, the way I go about my life is I set examples. If it inspires you, great. But if it doesn't, then maybe I'm not the person that you should be following. Yeah. And um, yeah. I love that because like, he did things the way he wanted to do it. And if mm-hmm. he didn't believe in it, I also love like that, that quote that he said, he was like, Republicans buy Jordans too. And at the end of the day, like he wasn't an activist. He was a basketball player and his job was to make money as a basketball player, not to go in there and contribute as an activist. So I think by him making that statement, he was just like, hey, man, like, I, I, I just want to play ball. I don't want to get involved. You know, I'm down to go ahead and make a contribution. But at the end of the day, like, I don't want it to take away from my part in playing basketball because that's what I'm here to do. I, so, I agree. I think he did take a lot of heat for it. Yeah, I think um, when you – I think I 100% agree with you, Luis. I think there's this um, unfair expectation for minorities, you know, black people, especially for, you know, to have to take up arms whenever we have to deal with topics surrounding social justice, like we have to get involved. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, um, Michael Jordan's free to do whatever he wants. Colin Kaepernick's free to do whatever he wants. There should be no standard expectation for how, how involved a particular athlete or celebrity wants to get involved with matters of social justice. That being said, um, I do think that his statement was really tone deaf, considering the Republican that was running. This is a guy who was against integration in schools, who wanted to perpetuate segregation. This is a guy who was against busing. This is a guy who didn't want to make Martin Luther King Jr. Day a holiday. Like This is a guy who was clearly a white supremacist in the Senate, um, making sure that laws stood that kept certain individual groups of people in the United States from succeeding or having opportunities. I 100% agree with Michael, like, and I 100% agree that nobody should be forced into any sort of political drama like that. But I think when you consider the exact person that is running, it comes off tone deaf. Like it definitely comes off as tone deaf because not only is he just like, if he's just any Republican, fine. But he's like the racist Republican at this time. So, you know, unfortunately, he made that comment. And should he be fully aware? No, he's not obligated to be fully aware. However, before you make a statement like that, think about the statements that come out of your mouth, because it does come off as tone deaf. Yeah. When you say those things. And I I want to touch. I know. To, to be on fair on Michael's side, he did say this was something that was said in a bus, not on a podium or whatnot. But again, Kerwin, like you're saying, it's Jordan. It goes into the next episode. The guy always had a spotlight on him. You know what I mean? So you, you had, you kind of had to know. And so anyways, but, but going on, um, wait, Jay, you were going to, you were going to say something, yeah, right, Jay? Yeah, no, I was just, I was asking about when I was watching this is just imagine like, I don't know how, how, how much buzz there was around this situation or how much exposure there was. It sounds like there was a lot, but again, this is kind of before my time. I don't really know from me really following it. Anyway, I was thinking like, imagine 
if he made that comment and we had the social media that we had now mm -hmm. like, and he's yeah. at the height of his career like how damaging do you think i mean it could be it could have ruined his career in a sense you know it could have been like a colin kaepernick kind of thing i think just mm -hmm. i mean I, I don't know, just back then it seems like it's kind of a big deal, but just the exposure he would have had if we had Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and that was made public, it could have been damaging to his career possibly. Yeah, I think now it's much more diluted because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like he was the athlete. Nowadays, we've got, you know, KDs, Steph Currys, LeBron James, you know, Cam Newtons, Tom Brady's, like we got so many MJs now, like, you know, it's a, it's a lot more diluted as opposed yeah. to where it was in the 90s. Like back in the 90s, everybody was attached to what he was saying. Now yeah. you have many more people. You definitely have tiers of athlete, but I think this goes back to what Luis was saying earlier and kind of what I repeated off of him is like, like you, you can't win. Like you can't win. You should never be obligated to, but no matter what, you're not gonna win. Like, you know, we got the president calling Colin Kaepernick the son of a bitch for protesting something. We got people telling LeBron to shut up and dribble for being an activist. And then when you're not an activist, you know, people want to shit on you too. So like, he, even if he was an athlete today, he'd be still stuck in a no win situation. So yeah. that's, that's just the unfortunate part of it. So I, I also want to come in, Alan, do you even remember this being talked about? Cause this is the first time I heard about it was on this documentary. I don't know if anyone had any like, Hey, this is, I saw this going on again. I did not have social media. I was not following the news at the time of my life when it was, so I don't know, but I don't even remember even like knowing about this. No, I same here. Didn't I, know. Knew, I knew about it. Yeah. 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 I knew about it. But they then go back to 1998 and they just start saying how they put season tickets on the market uh, and it sold out in three hours. Basically people knowing it was his favorite tour. It was the hottest ticket in town. They even showed an example of the Georgia dome, which is a huge dome football games are played in uh, back in the time. And they, they think that if they could have somehow managed it, they could have sold out every single seat in there. It's just how hot this ticket item was. And it shows celebrities trying to get a hold of them to see. Um, and it, it kind of ends with Seinfeld doing it, which I love the part how they have the whole montage with outcast Rosa parks. I love that song. I have to give that. Yeah. Credit. But I think out of all the episodes that we're reviewing so far up number five, it just really ends with like Seinfeld being funny and everyone, and there was like no cliffhanger. I feel like it's the only episode out of all five. I wasn't really ready. To, I want to see number six right now. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. It just kind of ended with Seinfeld being funny, him lacing up shoes and be like, all right, that's it. Episode five done. I don't know what you guys think. <laughs> well, I think they want to um, end on a high note because the next episode gets a little darker. So yeah. 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 So yeah, that's uh that's, that's episode five. Um, uh, I love the dream team. I love that angle. Um, I love everything about this episode though. Um, I don't know what you guys are thoughts. If you guys have anything else to say. Uh, I do want to say one thing going back to like the Kobe thing, if I can, yeah. um, I didn't start watching basketball until 1999 actually. Um, cause that's the year that I had moved to the U S and I never got a chance to really, I never really got a chance to see MJ. So my MJ was Kobe always. <laughs> I was like a huge Laker fan as soon as I started. Um, and so watching this documentary now explains to me why Kobe Bryant was Kobe Bryant in the way that he is. Um, obviously, I'm saddened that I never got to see Michael Jordan play, but I understand why they were so connected together and why they were big brother, little brother. Like, it all makes sense because I had watched Kobe Bryant play for his 20 years, and then watching this documentary, I was like, my goodness, they were, like, identical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Identical. 
So um, I don't know, just this is actually my favorite episode for that same reason. Um, I wish obviously we would have seen a lot more Kobe in the episode, but ultimately I was like, damn, like it, it all makes sense now after all these years to me personally. Uh, anybody else? I'm a, I just want to say one thing. Pistons are still a bunch of bitches. <laughs> they are. <laughs> damn you bad boys. <laughs> all right, tune in for episode six. All right, y'all. Thanks, folks. Later. Bye.